0: What's up YouTube? Welcome back to my channel. This is Greg. Today I want to talk to you guys about prayer. And so without further ado, uh, I want to go right into the text. Today we'll be looking at Matthew chapter 6. And before we read the text, um, we'll begin at verse 5. I want to say that um, prayer is one of the things that the church more often than not struggles with. And so if you find yourself struggling, Um, with prayer or uninformed in the realm of prayer, you're going to want to listen to what um, the teaching um, is today uh, to better equip you and and give you some revelation so that you would have more of a robust and effective and um, word-informed prayer life. Um, Charles Spurgeon said that prayer is the engine of the church. Right. Um, and so without the engine, you're not going to be mobilized to do what you need to do for God. So uh, with that said, uh, Matthew, chapter six, verse five, uh, the word of the Lord reads, and when you pray. So the text doesn't say if you pray um, immediately, Jesus is assuming that you are going to live a lifestyle of prayer. It is a contradiction in terms to say that we are a follower of Christ, but we are nevertheless prayerless Christians. Because Jesus, to be a follower of Christ, assumes that you are um, adhering to his teachings. And one of the vital aspects to his teaching incorporates prayer. So that if you aren't praying, you aren't following the Lord. right? So he doesn't say if you pray, he says when you pray. <clears throat> right? So there has to be a designated time of prayer and this is going to be subject to each individual, you know, David says in Psalm 119, seven, you know, uh, seven times a day, do I praise your law? Uh, Daniel prayed three times a day. Um, And in fact, the call is to essentially pray without ceasing. So we are to ultimately have a predisposition uh, to pray, a predisposition that is unceasing in our lifestyle of prayer. It ought to be more than just Although we should schedule times, it should be more than a mere schedule. It ought to be uh, characteristic of who we are, that we live, move, and have our being in the posture of prayer. But nevertheless, he says, and when you pray, do not be like the hypocrites. So he is appealing to uh, an example, in fact, bad examples for how you ought not to be praying. So you got to understand, he's speaking to Jews who were well accustomed uh, to uh a culture of prayer. Uh, but the culture of prayer um, that they were accustomed to was um, lifeless, futile, and um, ultimately re- merely religious. And it was not spiritual. It wasn't inspired by the Holy Ghost. It wasn't produced nor enabled by the Holy Ghost. And that's precisely the sort of praying that we want to accomplish. We want to have spirit-energized prayer, not lifeless religious prayers and um, The disciples didn't go to the Pharisees. They didn't even go to You know the Sadducees or the rabbis to be instructed on how to pray and uh, in fact once again, they they may have been very familiar with their religious prayers and and nevertheless and this is uh, captured in Luke chapter 11 uh, the disciples asked Jesus Lord teach us to pray Okay, so even though they were immersed and, and drenched in a culture that um, was pervaded with, with all sorts of prayers, prayers for Jerusalem, prayers to God, um, they find, they're aware of their own deficiency. They're cognizant of their own lack um, of the ability to pray in Luke 11, which is nothing more than uh, Luke's uh, recording of what Matthew here speaks about in Matthew chapter 6. But they, they ask him, Lord, teach us to pray. So that also assumes that shall, someone should be teaching you how to pray. There should be a uh, a human agent that is a co-laborer together with the Holy Spirit to, um, to train you, right? But it says, do not be like the hypocrites. So the hypocrites are the example... Of what we are not to be praying like, <clears throat> and the hypocrite. We could look, for example, in Luke chapter eighteen. I won't go there for the sake of time, um, but later you can um, go there yourself. You know, I, I'll go ahead and read that. Um, but you can turn to Luke chapter eighteen, uh, verse one. Excuse me, verse nine, and it says to some who were confident. Of their own righteousness and look down on everyone else, Jesus told this parable. So what Jesus is about to speak of is the Pharisees who were confident in their own righteousness. um, A righteousness not derived from God, not derived from Christ. And so they were bolstered up with pride and arrogance and self-sufficiency, self... self, um, uh, you know, um, self-sustaining, uh, self-pleasing. It was all centered around self. So the object of their praying wasn't God. It was themselves. And, and they also despised others. They looked down on other people. And in verse 10, it says, two men went up to the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee stood by himself and prayed. So God isn't accompanying his prayer. He's by himself. Um, and, and he's going to the temple. So he's in the right place. He's not in the trap house. He's not in the club. He's not, you know, anywhere else. He's in the temple where they ought to be. And yet, even though he's in the right location, his heart isn't in the right location. This is what Jesus says. You are they who, you know, say all the right words, but your heart is far from me. And it says, the Pharisee stood by himself and prayed, God, I thank you that I am not Uh, uh, like other people, robbers, evildoers, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week and give a tenth of all I get, but the tax collector stood at a distance. He would not even look up to heaven, but beat his breast and said, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. Verse 14, I tell you that this man rather than the other went home justified before God for all those who exalt themselves will be humbled and those who humble themselves will be exalted. So Jesus isn't contesting nor objecting to paying your tithes. He's not objecting to um, abstaining from adultery and and being corrupt tax collectors. Not saying that there's anything wrong inherently with collecting taxes, but tax collectors were known to have been been betrayers and employed by the Roman government and, and take more than what was necessary. So they abused their position. Uh, they were, were extortioners. And so the Pharisee... Is It's not that we shouldn't leave, live clean lives, but the way we obtain a cleanly uh, clean life and a moral life, a holy life, is not by our own strength, nor should we be self-congratulatory and, and praise ourselves for uh, being morally better than the next man, but rather the, the object of our praise is God himself who works within us, the grace, and, and so it's, we should espouse a position of humility in the place of prayer, right? As opposed to wanting to be seen or wanting to put ourselves above another individual, such uh, postures of heart in the place of prayer is what James defined in, uh, would define in James chapter 4 as asking amiss. In other words, you're asking to no avail, to no purpose, and it's precisely for that reason you don't uh, gain from God what you the de- uh, desire from him in the place of prayer he says you ask not because you, you have not because you ask not and when you do ask you ask with wrong motives and so the hypocrites here um, that jesus is focusing on as a, as an example for how we ought not to pray are those who love attention their motivation is wrong their motivation isn't god himself their motivation isn't to love god and to love people The motivation isn't to advance the kingdom. The motivation is, how can I look better around people? And uh, it says, for they love to they love to pray standing in the synagogue and on the street corners to be seen by others. Now we have to understand here that Jesus isn't saying when you pray don't be seen, because in that case we couldn't we we should not pray before the church. We should not pray before others. Or I have to blindfold you before I pray for you, right? It's it's uh, it's nonsensical. Instead, Jesus is saying when you pray, He's not saying when you pray don't be seen. He's saying when you pray, don't do it to be seen. So the 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 thing that Jesus is against is praying for wrong reasons, praying to be seen to be seen by men and to be um, praised and esteemed by men and um, and and to um, the focus is rather the praise of men instead of the praise of God. We want to be commended by the Lord for our, for our righteous acts and our praying. It says, They, uh, <clears throat> uh, in the, they stand in the synagogues and the street corners to be seen by others. Truly, I tell you, they have received their reward in full. So that is their reward. That's the extent of, of what they will get. They're not going to get any reward from God. Their reward is is um, self conferred. Um, they uh, help themselves to their own reward, and uh, and it's just being seen by others. Like, dang man, you you do you uh, you pray well, or you're eloquent, or you know whatever sort of compliments people are looking for. And so this indicates that their heart is in the wrong place. Truly, I tell you. They have received the reward in full, but when you pray, go into your room, close the door, and pray to your Father. So Jesus is not advocating a a, a corporateless prayer life. In other words, um, and we will see here in verse 9 that this is not Jesus' focus, and I'll briefly touch on it, but Jesus, the way that Jesus gives us a proper framework for prayer uh, he doesn't say, my Father. He says, when you pray, say, my Father. He says, our Father. So the our implies a corporate body. And so one, uh, one would think that uh, Jesus is advocating for a, a life of isolation. No, you got to understand their context. Again, they, they had a lifestyle that was uh, pervaded of religiosity, of temple worship. This was within the fabric of their culture. And so this was something they were well accustomed to. And so um, sometimes you can go through the motions and get caught up with the culture and then you forget the God who substantiated that culture and and forget about the privacy of our relationship with God. Today in the West, it's the complete opposite. We tend to love to focus on the privacy of our prayer life as opposed to the, the, the corporate necessity to be within the fabric of, of an entire body. You have a commitment and a responsibility to that body. And this is why in Ephesians 6, Paul says to pray for all the saints with all prayers at all times. So you, it's not eliminating your responsibility to others. Um, but he says, go into your closet, right? And so you have a designate, designated area and he says, close the door. So this means that you should eliminate distractions. You should eliminate um, notifications on your phone. You should eliminate, um, you know, the the urge to want to uh, go on Instagram or YouTube. So you have a confined and restricted area so that you can focus mentally on the Lord. And because if you don't, you're going to be derailed uh, through all these other um, uh, things that are captivating your attention. And you're not going to... Uh, get the full quality of the life of prayer that you should experience when, when all distractions are eliminated. Um, it says, then your father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. So I want to uh, um, um, point out this nuance here and, uh, and show that there's a distinction between reward and answers. Jesus didn't say that you will receive your answer to your prayer, I'm not saying that the answers will not come. They, they will. But the fact that you've sacrificed your time to pray, the act itself will be rewarded by God. And the reward is distinguished from the answer that if the petition is in accord with the will of God, you will receive. Um, it says in 1 John chapter 5, for we know this is the confidence that we have toward God that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And if he hears us, we have those things for which we've asked of him, not we, we hope we will or we might. So the answer, the petitions that are in alignment to the will of God will procure for you answers that are distinct from the rewards that you received for just praying, regardless of whatever your petition is. So, so the fact that you just went in your closet and you said, God, I'm going to pray, th- that, that elicits a reward. That is, that God, in that act alone, the Lord will reward you, okay? But the answers is not the reward, it's the grace of God. It's a, it's a gift from God. Um, <clears throat> so that should only incentivize our praying all the more and encourage us to want to pray uh, more often, all right? So verse 8 says, do not be, um, oh, it says, um, and when you pray, do not keep babbling like pagans, for they think they will be heard because of their many words. Now, a lot of times people would like to take this passage, this verse here, and and um, um, promote this sort of uh, short-winded prayers. And verse 7 says, And when you pray, do not keep babbling like the pagans, for they think they will be heard because of their many words. Now, people have taken this, people who have... Um, are short-winded in prayer and don't like offering long prayers. They love taking this passage here to to promote a sort of um a short-winded prayer life and uh, and, and to say hey don't don't speak very much to God. Just get to the point and ask God exactly what it is uh, that you want and and limit the scope of your praying to that and that alone. Um, that's not what Jesus is talking about here. See, this is what I like to say. Uh, you are not heard for your many words, but you are heard, therefore offer many words. So it's not that our many words gets God's attention as if he's ignoring us or we need to somehow get a hold of his attention or scream louder, right? The moment with we come to the Lord with a proper heart, we are already heard, but that should therefore um, elicit many words to God. Um, and there's multiple reasons for this. And I can just take an everyday example. Um, for example, uh, you know, your spouse, your boyfriend, your girlfriend, your son, or your daughter, your father, whatever. If you love them, you're going to spend a lot of quality time with them. Now, duration doesn't necessarily equate quality, but anybody who has a qualitative relationship with someone whom they love, there will inevitably be a great duration of time spent with them. So, so that if you love someone and there's no great duration of time, then my, then your love for them would be questioned. It's, it's questionable. Okay. And, um, There is an interesting dynamic, though. It's paradoxical in in one sense, because we're heard the moment we offer our prayer. But nevertheless, there are instances where Jesus, for example, in Luke 18, uh, commands for importunate prayer to continually be asking for requests. He says, He spake a parable to them unto this end that men ought always to pray and not faint. Okay, We can take Paul, for example, in 2 Corinthians, I believe it's chapter 11, when he besought the Lord three times concerning the thorn in his flesh. Why didn't he just reduce his prayer to one um, petition? That's not what Paul did. He prayed three times. Um, In fact, Jesus himself in the Garden of Gethsemane, uh, If you you can uh, find this in Matthew chapter (coughs) um, 26. Verse 36, and then Jesus went with his disciples to a place called Gethsemane, and he said to them, sit here while I go over there and pray. He took Peter and the sons of Zebedee along with him and began to be sorrowful and troubled. Then he said to them, my soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. Stay here and keep watching with me. Says verse 39, going a little farther, he fell to his face to the ground and prayed, my father, if it is possible, may this cup be taken from me, yet not as I will, but as you will. This is his petition within the first interval, which was an hour. And we know it's an hour because he told ta- he tells his disciples, Could you not watch with me one hour? And this is the first time he appears to them. Then it says, Then he returned to his disciples and found them sleepy. Couldn't you keep watch with me for one hour? So Jesus is praying an entire hour. Okay? Verse 41, watch and pray so that you will not fall into temptation. The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. He went away a second time and prayed, my father, if it is not possible for this cup to be taken away, unless I drink it, may your will be done. Okay, so Jesus' second time is praying the exact same thing. Okay, now um, it says, verse 43, when he came back, he again found them sleeping because their eyes were heavy. So he left them and went away once more. And pray the third time saying the same thing. So if Jesus in Matthew 6 is not advocating for many words, saying, just say it once and that's that, leave it there. Then Jesus is contradicting contradicting his own teaching in Matthew 6 by his lifestyle and practice here in Matthew 26. So he prays in three intervals all an hour each, so he prayed a, a, uh, some total of three hours, and within the three hours, he is praying the same thing, okay, and so it's not because we're trying to get God's attention, we have God's attention, but there's this paradoxical reality within the life of prayer that you have to continually offer up the same petition, right, not in order to get God's attention, but because things are happening in the spirit realm, it's the same, it's similar to how uh, the pagans and those that are in witchcraft elicit uh, uh, um, uh, incantations? It's it's like a, um, it's like uh, taking a piece of metal and scraping you know the ground or another piece of metal to in order to uh, create a spark, and that spark then creates a fire. Um, another way of putting it is stirring up, right? Fanning into flame when the more we pray, the more we're fanning into flame and building ourselves up and things are going on in the spirit realm for our favor. Now, going back to Matthew six, it says, um, so because we heard, we should offer up many words and have long prayers, importunate prayers and pray consistently. Right. Verse eight, do not be like them for your father knows what you need before you ask him. So just the fact that your father knows what you need doesn't therefore mean that you should not pray. The fact that your father knows what you need is, is the basis for why you should be praying, right? And uh, Paul says, let your requests be made known unto God. Why do I have to allow an omniscient God who knows everything to know about my situation? We don't need to philosophize about it. What we need to do is humble ourselves, humble our intellect, and, and with a heart full of faith and obedience, recognize this is what the Lord commanded us. Now, it says, um, this then is how you should pray. Um, Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Now, the word "their Father, is the Greek word pater, and it's not the Aramaic word Abba. Now, Abba speaks with respect to endearment, and that's certainly one way that we can come to God, (coughs) is with a sense of endearment and relationship and intimacy. But the word pater, um, here in this context, speaks with regards to God as the origin and, and the, the source, the ultimate source from which all is derived. So when we're coming to our God, certainly there is an aspect of relationship um, and intimacy. But a, we're cognizant of the fact that everything for which I'm going to seek from God is derived from him and not from me. So the object of hope and confidence isn't ourselves, but him. It says, our father in heaven. So he's not earthly. He's above us. He exalted above us, right? And uh, it says, "Hallowed be your name." Now, the word "hallowed" um, is derived from the Greek word "hagios" and it means holy. And so, when we're we are declaring for God's name to be hallowed, we're we're first of all recognizing that He is holy. But number two, we are praying um, unto the end that all that we do and all that we hope to see would. Would would be fitting to a holy God, and 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 th- and, and the things for which we're asking is um, seeking that His name would be revered in all of the world, be consecrated as holy, set apart as holy, he is distinguished from sinners. He's in a category all by himself, right? And so, hallowed be Your name. And so, when we're approaching God, we're not approaching God as a homeboy. We're not saying, oh, He's the man upstairs. We don't have this shallow, truncated view of who God is. We have—we ought to have a high, exalted, lofty view of of who the Lord is, who is nevertheless our Father, and it can be related to, right? And so, um, your kingdom come, your will be done. Now, I think this is too faceted. Jesus says, "If I, by the finger of God, cast out demons, then the kingdom of God has come upon you." So. When we're asking for the kingdom to come, in one regard, we're asking for the advancing of the kingdom. We're asking that politics, uh, uh, governments would be reflective of kingdom principles. We would, we're would we asking that families would reflect uh, the values of the kingdom and that it the kingdom would be superimposed upon every kingdom of this world that is contrary to God's values. But number two, um, this had in its first century context, much of uh, everything to do with um, or much to do with the fact that Jesus was encouraging his apostles to ask for the second coming, which was fulfilled and consummated in 70 AD at the fall of Jerusalem and and the destruction of the temple and the passing away of the law. I don't have time to unpack that, um, but... uh, Never, suffice it to say, that's, that's the petition that Jesus is encouraging them to ask for. And that's precisely what happened. Uh, <clears throat> the kingdoms had fallen. Uh, that old Judaic, uh, Mosaic uh, kingdom um, had fallen. Um, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. So we're praying the will of God, not our own will. We, we ought to have a disposition that is willing to relinquish anything that doesn't comport with what God desires for your life and for mine. Amen? So, uh, prayer not only changes situations and outcomes, but it also changes us. Um, and um, we also find, as we pray, we come to not only more of a knowledge of God and awareness of God, but an awareness of our own insufficiency. because we, our desires are gauged by the quality of our prayer. so that if we're not we're finding it to struggle to pray God's will, another area of need arises because we realize, hey, there's a part of my heart that doesn't fully desire this. And so that then should turn into another form of prayer. God changed my heart, created me, A clean heart, O God, renew a right spirit within me. Um, Verse 11, give us today our daily bread. Um, I think this is uh, number one, material, but number two, also very prophetic and spiritual. Jesus, in the context of casting out a demon, says, um, when he cast it out of the Samaritan, was it the Samaritan woman? But he says, it's not meat for me give the the, uh, dogs the children's bread. And so children's bread also speaks with regard to deliverance. Um, and the blessings from uh, the the blessings from God, right? Not only just material sustenance, uh, but verse twelve: and forgive us of our debts, as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. Um, m- verse twelve: so w- God isn't going to forgive us if we don't forgive others. The Greek word is um to forgive, to let go, or to permit. In other words, um, I'm not going to exact the payment that is rightfully due to me. You've injured my property, you've destroyed my property, or you've injured me, and, and you've injured something that is of wealth, of, of inherent value, and um, and forgiveness says, I let it go and I permit for that injury to occur, and I don't exact payment from you. That's it doesn't mean you have to be best friends with them. <coughs> it doesn't mean you have to be in relationship with them. Just means I'm not going to exact uh, uh, this. I'm not going to hold you to this penalty and um, exact payment from you, uh, whether that is uh, uh, finances or that's some form of uh, currency or another emotional currency, financial currency. Um, But it says, and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. Okay, Um, so. The reason why so many people fall into sin is because they're not praying. Uh, we need The way that we keep in step with the Spirit and we avoid temptation is that we pray that the Lord delivers from temptation. Now, I think that should go without saying um, because I don't have to convince most of you out there that um, you need help overcoming temptation. So when temptation comes, begin to pray. But number two is deliver us from the evil one or as Luke's account reads it, uh, Deliver us from evil. Um, I, I, this warrants an entire teaching in itself, but I think what's focused here is what's called imprecatory prayers. That is to say, praying for judgment upon um, the wicked. Um, because what was the evil that they were experiencing? They were experiencing evil from their persecutors. And um, Jesus, in fact, instructs them in uh, Luke 18 to pray that. That uh, they would receive justice, <clears throat> and he uses the importunate widow as an example. Um, but all through, all littered throughout the Psalms, you see David saying, "Let the wicked fall into their own snares; may they fall into their own traps. May they fall in, uh, May I be rescued and delivered, right? And so we not only have spiritual entities such as demons that are trying to ensnare us and put into bondage, but also um, physical uh, human agents, and we need to pray. God delivers from these evil people. May they fall into their own snares. May they fall into their own traps, and may we pass by safely. May and, and begin to pray um, um, judgment upon uh, wicked administrations and wicked governments that are oppressing the people through witchcraft and evil and and tyranny. Right and and and. Those are the form of prayers that we should pray. Prayers from Psalm 109, prayers from Psalm 141, you know, uh, let an enemy oppose them. Or, you know, like it says in Psalm 109, may they be set in slippery places with the angel of the Lord driving them back. Psalm 35, right? uh, Contend against those the Lord who contend against us. And as we begin to pray those things, God will fight on your behalf. But I'll I'll leave it there because again, as I said, uh, there's so much that can be said about this but i have done a teaching on imprecatory prayers and uh... if you would like to listen to that uh... maybe i'll put it in the description below or uh... on this tag here on the youtube video um, but nevertheless i hope that you gained um, a lot of insights from uh, this video here and uh... if you like to support this channel um, there's ways to give i want to encourage you to give uh... so that we can continue to do um, videos like this and ministry for you guys out there. Give this a like and a share. Um, Share it with one of your friends, a comment below uh, to help this ministry also. So God bless.